Welcome to the Valor Circle Podcast. Today, we are really privileged to talk to Ryan from Epic Nature in Wisconsin. And uh, this is a special podcast for me because I've known Ryan for probably the last year, year and a half. And uh, Ryan and I got to know each other through actually one of my hobbies. Uh, and that's the hobby farm that my wife and I have. And uh, as such, I've gotten to know Rob. Uh, know Ryan, know his wife, Deanne, and gotten to learn a lot more about their farm, Epic Nature, and the business that they're running there. And today, we're going to chat with Ryan and learn how he and Deanne are really changing how we as consumers look at agriculture and how they're growing their farm uh, and achieving their goals. So, Ryan, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, Anything in the intro that I missed that uh, maybe you want to add and tell people a little bit about yourself? Well, we're, we're not just farmers. I mean, so, I mean, we have a farm out here and that's obviously uh, what's going on as far as this interview you know, about our, our business and you know, how we've you know, kind of changed the way that her family's farm is being run. But obviously, you know, I've, I've had construction jobs all along and my wife works full time. So we're we're hardworking folk uh, outside of the farm too. So, oh, very good point. No, I should have should have mentioned that, and that's that's worth adding. Tell us a little bit, Ryan, just to get us started. People obviously may not be familiar with Epic Nature. Tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you and Deanne um, got involved in this, and 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 what some of your goals and objectives for the, the business are. Well. First, I want to start out by saying that that no no single man or woman should should look at what they've done as as a success by themselves. And where my wife and I are now is is because of you know, her parents, my parents, our grandparents, our great grandparents for for having the initiative to to leave Europe. And, and come to the United States and come to Wisconsin and, and be pioneers on, on broken land. So, you know, this is just, this is just a continuation of, of a story of, of perseverance and, and really uh, taking advantage of opportunity. So one of the things you mentioned, and I think it's really critical, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you is I know you still you know, have some other side jobs that you work on, and Deanne works full-time while you guys are building up your business and the farm and all that. And I think that's so typical of so many business people today that especially when they're starting their own their own venture, you know, it's, it's not just a matter of, okay, I, one day I'm going to decide this and I'm going to, you know, leave my job and I'm going to start fresh and, and burn all the bridges. Uh, there's a transition period. And sometimes that transition period is many, many, many years. Sometimes it's even a lifetime as, as we do a side gig and leave it as a side gig and grow from there. Tell me a little bit about how did you guys get started with the farm? Um, again, I know it came, if I'm remember right, it was Indiana's family and then, uh, it, you guys were able to acquire the farm and go from there. Can you tell me a little bit about how did you in the end decide to get into regenerative agriculture and, and what caused that, that desire for you guys? So, you know, just uh, so people know that, you know, what, what we're doing here with regenerative, regenerative agriculture and you know, the, the broader 
project of, of turning this farm into something that can be managed by, by just a couple of people without the use of, of machinery or chemicals, that this is not, this particular situation is not easily duplicated or easily scalable because yes, my, my wife was a, a trust fund baby, a, a land trust fund baby that, like I said before, that this is an amazing opportunity that, that we've been given that we didn't have to go out and, and purchase land. That we, were, we were married in 2001 and the family was, was gracious enough to say, okay, if, if you guys, you guys want to be, be farmers, then go ahead and, and take the keys, take the reins. Obviously, after you know, my in-laws gave us the the property and the keys that that our decisions were always questioned. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it was a a true evolution, not just in how we're managing the property, but in our relationship with the people that came before us and what they what their visions were for the property and what our visions going forward were were evolving into. So for, for those business owners and, and just interested parties that are watching the podcast today, tell us what is Epic Nature and, and what do you guys do? And what is, tell me a little bit about the farm. When, when I was, when I was graduating high school, um, Deanne and I were dating and I was looking for a dairy farm. This was part of our, you know, what we were trying to do is, is be part of agriculture. I grew up agriculture. My wife grew up grew up country, not necessarily as a hands-on, you know, running the tractor and, and, and raking hay and stuff like that. But we both had, you know, a, a desire, a, a passion for not necessarily simple. I mean, you know, farming is, is far from simple. It's, it's actually very complicated and, and scientific at times. But you don't have to deal with as many people, you know, working out here on the farm, you know, the only person I have to yell at is, is myself and the animals. So, you know, there is, there's a lot of draw to that type of lifestyle for people where they're like, Hey, you know, I don't want to have a boss. I don't want to have a commute. I'd like to get some land out in the country. And the attractive part of being a landowner, of being in, in agriculture is, is what is, you know, for me and, you know, my family, my father's family, they, they were always buying land and farming. It was, you know, my grandfather always said, if you break even farming, you're doing a good job because you're always appreciating your assets. Your land is always, you know, growing in value. So you're, you know, farming just isn't this one-sided business model where it's all about, you know, how much, how many pounds of, of, of rhubarb do I pick or asparagus or, you know, for the other guys, the bushels of corn per acre. You know, there's a there. there it's a very, a very uh, broad um, business model where you're 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 watching a lot of different things. And a lot of farmers in the area they end up selling off their farms either to their children or to their relatives or just on the broader market, and that's their retirement. They didn't make a whole lot of money while they were farming. They were just enjoying lives and enjoying. Um, you know, the, the lifestyle. And in the end, what they get is, is they built a nest egg in land value. So 
one of the things I know you've talked about at Epic Nature is that, again, that focus on regenerative agriculture. For those of us that are less informed, can you describe what that means, Ryan? What What is regenerative agriculture? So, you know, these are all very popular uh, terms that people like to use to promote their farms and stuff like that. Regenerative agriculture is in the same same line of thinking as sustainable, uh, a little bit like organic. There's a few of the key, few of the key things to regenerative agriculture are minimal soil disturbance. You you want to keep down, you know, the the erosion. So, you know, pasture, pasture rotational pasture, you know, you know, grazing. These are all big parts of of regenerative agriculture. The other side of that is you're you're looking for land that has been worn down through conventional through conventional means. So if I take you know and I go buy forty acres of corn and beans rotation, the first thing I want to do is I want to bring back the health of the soil. I want to retain the, the moisture. I want you know clean clean uh, uh, clean filtration, you know, the infiltration of the, the water. I don't want it just running off my field, going in the stream. I want it to actually kind of, you know, to be percolating and, and going into the groundwater the way that a natural system is. And that's where regenerative agriculture is, is really focused on restoring the natural balance of how, you know, the relationship between the, you know, the rain, you know, the soil and, and the, uh, the broader environment. Oh, well, thank you for that. That's a, a great explanation. And in a moment, I'm going to talk to you about some of the marketing things you're doing. But before we do that, talk to me a little bit about the products that you guys have. I know, you know, you and Deanna have got crops that you guys raise. Uh, I'll call them crops. You may not, but I'm thinking um, some of the things you raise, uh, as well as some animals. Can you tell us a little bit about the the types of things you're producing on the farm and, and maybe why you even chose some of those? Yeah. Um We've we've been out here for over twenty years, and I've failed at at growing a lot of different things, and not just the failure to to get it in the ground on time or have the right fertilizers and and, and all the things that that come into making a plant productive, but to actually get value from what you've just what you've just planted and, and harvested. Or the time involved in just harvesting a product and getting it to market may may not be worth what it you know what it takes to, to actually grow it. So, you know, there's there's an evolution of of business model where you start out you've got big ideas, big dreams. You know, we wanted to have peppers and tomatoes and and, and all the melons and all this. So we started out. You know, this was we were. We we're 21 years old. We had lots of young friends. They were in college. You know, we're, you know, big, you know, CSA style community supported agriculture. Everyone's out. We're all growing all this this produce, and it's great. We're all eating great, but there's a lot of time involved, and you know, zero, you know, zero income. Your profit margin, you know, is zero because you're not you're not actually taking it to market. So you, you've got to take what what you can grow easily uh, adapted for your climate. We're in Wisconsin, rhubarb. So 10 years in, it's like, hey, the rhubarb, easy to grow, pest-free, let's make a market for our rhubarb. 
So there wasn't really a market for it because who wants rhubarb in bulk? It's going to be wineries. It's going to be people that want rhubarb juice to add to different types of beverages as a natural flavoring. So now we've got to, we've got to come up with a, a way to get a marketable product from our rhubarb because, hey, rhubarb grows easily and it's a, a productive plant and it's a, it's a perennial and um, it's considered a heavy feeder, but you can grow it without, you know, adding too much, um, you know, chemical fertilizers or stuff like that. So we've, we've done really well with the rhubarb. The profit margin on our rhubarb now is, is excellent because it's already been planted. All you got to do is go and pick it. You know, then we're working on these different animals. We had chickens and we started out with a dozen chickens and well, eggs in the store are so cheap that you know, your feed doesn't make, make up or the, the product I mean, you're selling the eggs doesn't make up sure. for the feed that you're putting into it. So your inputs are as much as, that's what you're getting out. Yeah, you get your eggs free for breakfast, but you still have to attend to the chickens and all that. So scrub that idea in favor of hatching out the eggs. Well, there, there is some money in hatching out eggs, but you know, in Wisconsin, you can only sell a thousand chickens without having all the testing and permits. So you're capped at that. So we had hatched out a, a thousand chicks a year for a couple of years and we're selling pullets and eating all the, the pullets are the young females and we're eating all the young males. And that was great, except it's a, it's a intensive job because you're running an incubator all the time. So, you know, you're making $5,000 a year and it's very labor intensive. So scratch that onto the pigs. And, and this is just how, how people have to, start out with what works for your property and your market. Obviously, if, if chickens are in high demand and you can get twice as much for a, a pullet that I can, then, well, then you're going to be making $20 an hour doing your, your chicken incubating and where I'm making 10. So that might be a more profitable venture for you than it is for me. Here, pigs work great because one, we've got a lot of got a lot of hawks, we've got a lot of birds of prey, we've got the fishers, the mink, you know, things that like to eat chicken, eat duck. So if you wanted to be free range chicken out here, it's, it's not going to happen. So that's where the, it becomes more labor intensive of the project versus the pigs where you just, you fence in two, three, four acres, uh, get them bred, let the sows go out there. Like you'd mentioned earlier that we have uh, heritage breed Red wattle hogs, which do excellent farrowing on pastures, so we don't need all the infrastructure, we don't need the barns, and you know, selling piglets has become our latest. You know, that's our our biggest seller right now. Is everybody wants to be raising their own pork here in central Wisconsin? There's a we have a tough time selling pork chops because people want to raise their own pig. They have you know, either they have their own property or their, their parents or their uncles or someone has property where the family wants to raise their, their own pork and they're looking for someone that has piglets that were born out on dirt and, and raised in a natural way so that they have something that fits with the, the model they're running. And, you know, this is some advice I would give to anyone that's looking for pigs to go out and find a breeder that is raising pigs like you're raising them so that they, there's not as much transition not as much shock in the transition 
No, great advice. And I, I mean, I appreciate you sharing that story because it really demonstrates, I think, how you need, no matter what type of venture you're moving in on, you need to take a look at what assets you've got, what's going to work well in your environment. And, you know, learning, as you mentioned, that, you know, raising chickens outdoors probably isn't the best in, in central Wisconsin when you've got all those predators. That certainly... at a minimum makes for a lot more inputs that you need to put in for infrastructure security and work. And that's going to obviously impact your profitability uh, just because I have a passion for them. And, and you and I got to know each other through the red wattle pigs. Tell us a little bit about why you chose that and how that really fits in. You made a comment, Ryan, that, you know, if you could sell a chicken for twice as much, you could make twice as much money. I know that one of the things that the reasons we wanted to raise red wattles on our hobby farm was the fact that we could sell those hogs for a lot more money. Even as a meat hog, uh, we're probably bringing 50 to 100% more than market um, because there's a story that goes along with them. There's people willing to pay for a hog that's raised outdoors, that's raised naturally, that's not raised in confinement. Tell us a little bit about the red wattle and why why that's making a good fit for your farm enterprise so we uh, you know 20 years ago we moved out here we got chickens we, we got a couple of white pigs we raised them up pork's good you know, nothing wrong with it but there is you know infrastructure involved in all that and we raised pigs off and on of commercial breed type and and first off if you're raising pigs in a in a uh, stress-free environment in a natural environment you're going to have excellent work it's the breed is not everything the breed is is probably less less than 50 percent of what you're actually you know tasting in your end product it's when i came out when i came out and dropped off the hogs by you uh one of the first things i did was go over to your feed pick some up and taste it and I remember I that, yeah. I said, would you eat this? You know, and, and I could taste that the feed was, was uh, it was lacking some flavor and freshness. And not to say that the feed was bad, but it wasn't the best possible feed. And, you know, red wattles were just the, uh, the, the pinnacle that I was searching for. If I'm raising pigs, if I'm taking all this time in, and effort to, to to grow my own food you know why would i want to raise you know it's the same as a tomato am i going to raise a hybrid tomato or am i going to raise an heirloom which one do i want to sure so it's, it's the same as the pork do i want do i want something that grows fast and produces a lot of meat well there's nothing wrong with that but do i want my pork chops when i throw them on the grill and the in-laws you know come over that they they're like oh is this your is this your jersey beef you know that they have you know that that the pork is not just good not just great but outstanding the best pork possible and that's where i think that the red wattles have a market and can demand a little bit higher price because Okay, if you're buying, if you're out there buying like the sprint, you're paying 75 or 100 bucks for a commercial feed and things like and then you're going to go and stick three, four hundred dollars worth of feed into it. If I'm asking you to pay an extra 50 bucks for a piglet, the total 
of you know the total percentage of your input to get that premium piglet to start with is is 10% or 15% of of the total input. So that's where people you know it, it doesn't hurt to spend a little bit of extra money to buy a higher quality piglet if your end product is going to be you know 15 20% more or in my case and a lot of people's cases where a, a heritage pasture raised pork is going to demand, demand twice as much from the end consumer. So you're spending 10% more up front for the piglet, but in the end, your pork is worth twice as much. Oh, and great business decision and, and a great story behind that as well. So Ryan, one of the things I know you've done a lot and you and I've talked about this a lot over the last year and a half is marketed your business in a way. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I don't know about all of epic nature, but at least from the, the hog perspective, it's my understanding you're one of the largest breeders of red wattle hogs in the nation right now. How, how did you market yourself? How did you get your name out there? What have you done to promote that side of the business? Because I know I see you driving literally all over the country delivering piglets to buyers. Um, how, how did you move from some white pigs in the, in the, you know, in the past year, 20 years ago, to a, a large herd now of a heritage breed that has a great story because we know stories sell uh, in a extra value product of those red wattle hogs. How did you market that? How did you get your name out there, Ryan? Shameless self-promotion. Fair enough. <laughs> insatiable. Uh, my, my ego has an insatiable appetite. I mean, there's that's that's kind of a joke but there needs to be there is some truth to being um aggressive in in promotion in in business in marketing you need to have you need to have a little bit of, of, of aggressiveness if you don't stand behind your product if you don't believe in your product then it's hard to be aggressive when we first got our red wattles. They were born November of 2015, I believe, is when our first ones were born. We didn't actually pick them up until it had been January of 2015, I believe. Maybe it's 2016. I'd have to look at the paperwork. But it was it was two, maybe three years before we had our first red wattle pork from our pigs. Because now there's a saying that a a true farmer doesn't know what good meat tastes like because they're always eating the animals that die on their farm and selling, <laughs> selling anything that has value a farmer sells. So, sure, you know, the first pig we ate was a cull sound. Otherwise, we were selling off all of the, the, the feeders and breeders. You know, we need cash flow. You know, we have outside jobs, but I don't want to be putting, you know, there's we can put a little money into the business to start. But after that, it's it's got to grow on its own. So we're we're cash flowing. We're selling these animals. We have our first pig butchered and my wife and I are, are eating it, looking at each other like, wow, you know, here, here it's, you know, we haven't been promoting because we couldn't, we couldn't say for sure. We had had red wild pork, but we couldn't say for sure that our product was great. And then as we have more pigs and we develop this consistency and, and I'm sure I irritate a lot of people out there in, in the social media world with, Every time I butcher a pig, I'm posting pictures of my pork chops and they're all red and they're all marbled and, and we've got consistently excellent meat. So that, that increases my confidence and it increases my ability to be aggressive at marketing and, and doing things like saying, hey, 
Um, I'm going to take my truck. I'm going to drive out to to Virginia and anyone along the way. I've, I've got room for, you know, 20 pigs on my truck. So anyone want pigs, I'll drive them out there and, and we're all going to share the fuel so that people can get these pigs delivered to them. And I'm not making any money on the delivery. I'm, ma- I'm losing money on the delivery. But instead of being stuck in central Wisconsin market, now I've broadened my market to the entire East Coast, the, the entire South. Okay, wherever I'm going, wherever I'm going, that now I've broadened my market size tenfold, twentyfold, a hundred, you know, a hundred times. You know, the county I live in has eighty thousand people. Okay, if I'm driving down to Dallas Fort Worth, Worth, there's there's a couple million people. You know, so that my my market size just exponentially grows by saying, hey, I don't need to make money on the delivery as long as I can get um, a premium on each pig. I can throw 20 pigs in there. If I can get double the price on my pigs down in Dallas, well, right now it's going to cost me $1,000 in fuel and I get a $3,000 premium on, on a truckload of, just a pickup truckload of pigs. So... It all works out for you. Yeah. That's, that's why, that's why I I drive the miles I do because it, it doesn't necessarily make a lot of money. And this goes back to what I said in the beginning about farming, that farming is not about making money. It's about enjoying life is, I mean, we all die in the end. Farmers usually die before other people. So I don't need as much money as the rest of you. (laughs) Cool. Ryan, one of the things I know you've done a lot of, and you've actually just kind of started launching recently, but I know you've been working on it for, I'm guessing, the better part of a year, is you've been leveraging video and showing people your farm and showing people what you're doing, whether that's, you know, bushels and bushels of rhubarb that are laid out when you guys have harvested it or things about the pigs and or anything else on the farm that you've got. Talk to me about your strategy behind that, and and if I can ask why did you choose video as a way to get your story out well transparency when if i'm buying something from someone i i kind of want to know that they're legitimate and if i can go on their social media and and look that over the past five ten years that this is exactly what they've been doing day in and day out that there is no you know there's there's no secrets where, you know, if I go to someone else's Facebook and they've got a profile picture that they change once every five years and a picture of, of the local, uh, their, their uh, professional sports team or something like that, there's just no information. There's nothing to back up anything that they say, whether the, you know, who they are. You know, I, I see it a lot. People commenting like they're, they're professional pig growers and you go to their personal uh, social media thing and there is not one picture of a pig anywhere and it's like well you you can't you can't be very invested in your pig venture if you're not taking pictures of it and you're not proud of it and you don't want people to, to see what's going on on your farm so that's and the the other thing is as we sell more pigs as we we interact with more people you know that we've in the past five years, we've sold pigs to uh, more than maybe 200 different people. And we've delivered pigs to out of state 
And when we get there, the pens are not finished. So, you know, we made the mistake at a couple farms. We unload them into the pen. They've got, you know, two or three strand hot wire. And I'm delivering 50 pound pigs. And I'm telling them, like, they are not going to stay in there. And before we leave, the pigs are already out of the pen. So by doing a little little educational with the, the YouTube, you know, it's like, all right, here's your introduction to hog fencing. Say right in the video, before I unload my hogs, you need to have this type of pen built or at least some type of secured structure for them to go in. And then when people want to buy pigs, I can send them a link to the YouTube and say, watch this video. Okay, when you're done watching the video, tell me that you have your pen ready, then I'll deliver the pigs. Excellent. No, it makes a lot of sense. Based on your experience, Ryan, I know, uh, you know me, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of video and marketing. Would you recommend it to other business owners? That it's something they do? I mean, do you, I'm, I'm assuming you believe it, it has the value and is yielding those results. Is that something you'd recommend people take the plunge on? And even though it's hard, take that next step and start answering questions and, and doing things like that on video to share more about their businesses? Well, it's kind of a sensitive topic. Uh, if, if I was shooting video of myself 20 years ago and I had published it 20 years ago, I'd, I'd be ashamed and I would have regretted putting those videos out there because of just how, how clueless and not just from, from inexperience, just from being a, a young person. And, you know, if you have, if you have no experience in what you're doing, I wouldn't recommend you out there taking videos and publishing videos of what you're doing because you you really don't know if it is going to be successful. And like you said, we've been filming for a year and you know, why do we film film for a year? Well, let's let's follow these projects all the way to the end. There's nothing more irritating than when I go on to, uh, you know, see something on YouTube, people are like, "Hey, you know, we're doing this you know, like like we did this a video on a you know permaculture installation. All right, show a permaculture installation where you just put in a bunch of perennial plants and no follow up, or at least not a clip of a video of what it looks like six months from now in there to show this is what we started with and this is the finished product. Whereas, like, yeah, anyone can go out there, till a bunch of land, throw some seeds in, and say, look at this beautiful garden we planted. It's going to be all weeds in two months if you're not after it and not doing the appropriate thing. So if you want to use video for marketing in your business, make sure you have, make sure you have something that you can stand behind. Make sure it's, it's, it's valuable to your customer or all you're going to do is, is you're actually going to be hurting people in the long run and hurting, hurting yourself and hurting your, your, uh, your potential brand in the future. What I'm hearing you saying is that video does a great job of amplifying and it amplifies expertise when you have it, but it also can amplify incompetence. And so make sure you're amplifying the expertise. Is that a fair thing to summarize what you're saying, Ryan? That, that's, that's fair. That's right. Yeah. That, that's that editing, editing, editing can only do so much. So true. So true. Well, Ryan, I, I really appreciate your time today. Is it okay with you if we add some links to uh, Epic Nature, your YouTube channel and things like that so our viewers can find you there as well? Is that all right with you? Absolutely. We'll do that. One of the things I love to do is, and before we wrap things up here is I love to ask just a totally random question. 
Uh, and it's something I didn't prep you for and I did, haven't even figured out. So we actually go to a website uh, to generate these. And I'm just going to go ahead and go random question generator. Let's see what the random question of the day is. And some we can have some fun with this. Sometimes it works out well. Sometimes it doesn't. But let's see what we get on the random question of the day. Oh, this is good for a farmer. So uh, keeping it family friendly, uh, what's the story behind any one of your scars? I'm assuming from fencing and pigs and harvesting and equipment, you've probably got a scar or two. you have any that have a good story? That's interesting because uh, life, on the, life on a farm is, is very, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous work. So I've been blessed to be relatively scar-free. I mean, I, I burnt my, my leg on a, a motorcycle muffler when I was, when I was 12-ish. Dropped a piece of pipe on my hand, and my dad told me to have my mother sew it up with a fishing line. You know, there's 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 a there's a couple of, of minor minor scars, but but really nothing permanent. I've got a you know a, a twisted nose from from being punched while I was in mixed martial arts. Not really a scar, but and not not farm related. Not a good so story I'm, though. <laughs> well, I was taking self defense classes, and you know I. I wanted to see, you know, if I was getting my my money's worth. So, get what better way to test out self defense than get in get in a ring with someone that wants to punch you in the face? So, very cool. Well, Ryan, uh, final question for you today is: if you could give any piece of advice to uh, anybody, whether they're a business owner, whether they're just somebody that's out for a job, they've got a desire. I know there's a lot of people that go, "Wow, that I'd love to have some land, and I'd love to have." Uh, whether it be a hobby farm or uh, as we're trying to do on my side, move that hobby farm into a real farm that's making income. If you had one piece of advice to give that person before they started, what would you advise them to do? You, you need to have a, a professional attitude, no matter what you're doing, that success is success isn't something that you know people people aren't just successful you know by you know it, it just doesn't fall in your lap that this is something that must be worked hard at and <clears throat> you need you need good teachers i mean even even the greatest minds in the world i mean einstein and and, and michelangelo these guys had excellent teachers so if if you're going out there to do something you have to have that professional attitude and that includes seeking out individuals in those fields that can not just help you but but really mentor you and maybe you have to go and work for them maybe you have to you know you got to put something into that relationship to get something back and if no matter what you're doing you know, be a professional. You know, if there's an opportunity that, that presents itself that you can't be successful without going after that opportunity. So, you know, seize the day, you know, be about it. Uh, great advice. Great advice, Ryan. 
Well, again, I want to thank you for your time today. I know you've got a ton of things going on and there's always more jobs that need to happen. Um, but uh, let me encourage anybody that's watching, if you've been intrigued at all about Ryan's story about agriculture or especially about the red wattle hogs, which I readily admit, there's a, a tremendous story behind them and and what, what type of hog they are, why they're different. Um, watch some of Ryan's videos, check out his website, learn from him. Uh, I have learned a tremendous amount as my wife and I have tried to build our farm and worked on that. I've learned just a tremendous from Ryan and Deanne about one of the animals we raise, which are red wattle hogs as well. So if you're interested in any of that, take Ryan's advice, look him up, follow him. Uh, he's truly a, a wealth of knowledge and always willing to share that. So Ryan, thank you again. Uh, we're so grateful for your time today. Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan.